Good morning. It's good to be together. You know, we all could have gone instead over to the Scottish Festival across the street, which I think would be fun, but um, I think it's good for us to be here, and there's still time to go to that afterwards. Also might have been a missed opportunity to get a bagpipe player here this morning to join our team, but we may hear it from across the street. Those things are loud, so... So we're talking about the Holy Spirit during ordinary time, which is why I wore green today, among other things. And, you know, I'll say up front that it's sometimes awkward for me to speak about someone who is in the room, in the third person. Uh, Holy Spirit is in the room. It makes me a little tentative. Because people, even people generally, are are much fuller and richer than we can describe in words, and certainly this goes for God. Um, So words sometimes feel inadequate, um, especially perhaps when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And also maybe because I'm coming off a week of of end-of-year college ceremonies. My day job is as a dean at a university, Christian university, where... um, There's a lot of God talk in these ceremonies, um, and usually in ways that are theologically correct, but perhaps a little bit too confidently and glibly kind of grabbing the Lord uh, uh, by the tail and (laughs) pulling him around a little bit through the ceremonies. Um, By the way, Mark Twain says... uh, that a person who grabs a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. <laughs> so um, that's to say that language is, of course, our great privilege as humans among God's creation to use. And of course, we have the words of Scripture on which we can rely. And there are times in our lives and throughout our lives when we need to come together regularly, of course, and listen to the words of Scripture. But there's also ways of coming to know God other than through language right? Uh, Maybe it's best to say that knowing God is some kind of alternation between speech, silence, and cooperative work as we work with the Holy Spirit, as we are friends of God. But in the end, of course, these are all just interactions with him. Indeed, to know God in the scriptures seems to come about through interacting with him through the Holy Spirit, We come to know God best through his presence with us. And of course, this is why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, to be present with us, to continue to teach us about himself so that in a sense, he might grab us and we might know Jesus Christ and through his presence, come to know him in a way that can't just be grasped by our own human efforts. And we all know how powerful a person's presence can be in our lives, right? How the force of someone's personality in the room can influence us. All of us can remember probably better the five most influential people in our lives quicker than we can remember the five most influential talks. Because the power of a personality seems supreme as we come to know something. Well, the passages in both of our uh, texts today talk about the presence and filling of the Holy Spirit, and they talk about it as a gift from God. 
Not something that's ours to command, to grab by the tail and swing around, but to earnestly pray for, to ask, seek, and knock for. And I must say, one of the great joys of, of being asked to teach is to, of course, having to study. And I'm often surprised by passages of Scripture. Um, and that was true in our gospel passage today, Luke 11, which seems most obviously about prayer, right? It's this parable of a man knocking at his neighbor's house late at night because a friend has visited and, you know, there was no 24-hour Ralphs, so he had to go next door and ask for bread, knocking on his neighbor's door. And this passage comes right after a passage that's not in your program in which the Lord teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. This is mostly, of course, the Lord's Prayer is mostly a number of petitions. And the disciples asked for this. It was not uncommon to ask a rabbi to teach them to pray. But I think there was also this sense in which Jesus kind of kept wandering off. And we see this in the Gospels. He would just kind of wander off into a solitary place. Or, and he would pray by himself. And so I think there's just a natural curiosity, especially among apostles who were used to more corporate prayer, being led in prayers in the temple and synagogue, a little strange for the rabbi just to wander off and pray for hours at a time. And so they naturally said, what are you doing Teach us what you're doing. Teach us to pray. And of course, he gives them the Lord's Prayer. And apart from the beginning and the powerful kind of innovation Jesus seems to offer, which is to call God Abba, Daddy, some of these prayers would have been familiar to them actually from other prayers. To ask for the kingdom of God to come, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for daily bread, for his name to be hallowed, and to be saved from evil. So when we come to our passage, having kind of talked about the what's of prayer, it seems like this is now about the how to pray, how to approach God, the knocking on the door, the persistence. But ironically, or maybe strangely, maybe this will surprise me in part, is in fact, this is not the model for prayer. Uh, in fact, Jesus says, God is not like that man whose door you're knocking on. <laughs> that we do not have to knock obnoxiously at the door of God in the middle of the night. Now, consistent, regular prayer is encouraged in the scriptures. And in Luke 18, Paul, or, uh, Jesus affirms those who pray day and night for justice. But Jesus wants to say here, you know, God is not like that neighbor who is unwilling to give you bread. To whom you have to kind of bang over and over. He's not that neighbor who in a one-room house, which would have been common in the first century, would have had his children in the room, maybe the husband and wife had the children in bed with them. And you know, we all know that if you've been a parent, uh, you know, when a child's asleep, that is like, no one say a word, right? <laughs> Do not wake the child. And so, of course, this is what the man here says. My children are already in bed and asleep. Go away. You're going to wake them. And Jesus says, no, the Lord's not like that. He's not going to answer because you are annoying. He's going to answer because he's a good father. And his children are not inside the house. They're outside the house praying to you. And so Jesus says, approach the father as the good father who wants to give good gifts and knows how to give good gifts to his children. We should have that expectation. But here's where the second surprise came for me. Because while I thought this was really simply about the nature of God, 
it also turns out to be about another what to pray for. Because in the very last sentence of our verse, after saying, if you then who are evil know how to good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I suddenly realized this is about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that the good gift Jesus has been talking about all along is that those who ask for the Holy Spirit, well, the Lord wants to give it to you. Now, I'm not sure the disciples even knew what Jesus was talking about, right? They don't even really know what the Holy Spirit is yet. He's anticipating a time, though, when they will need another person. As Todd says last week, Jesus went away saying, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving because I can send you this Holy Spirit to be inside you. This passage in Luke is about one good gift in particular that we should ask for and that God is willing to give, and that's the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Then it struck me. That's right. We should ask for the Holy Spirit. You know, I think I mostly pray for things, and that's good too. For instance, for one of my daughters, I ask for encouragement. She's easily discouraged. So I ask for encouragement. For another daughter who's at a, a secular university, I ask for a fellowship of other believers. Uh, for the leaders at my university, I ask God would give them wisdom. Um, for relatives, I frequently ask for healing. And these are all good things, of course. But here in this passage, I'm realizing Jesus is saying, ask for a person. Ask for the Holy Spirit, because the presence of God ultimately is really what is needed. And so I do, I, I ask, you know, like I said, I ask for encouragement for my daughter, and, and I want to hear that her professors have, for instance, liked her artwork, and she's encouraged, or in the case of my other daughter, that her friends have proved faithful and loyal. And of course, if those things are the case, I feel like my prayers have been answered, and I assume God is somehow vaguely present <laughs> delivering these goods to them. But I think how much better would it be if my daughter could be encouraged actually by the presence of the Holy Spirit himself at these times? That she would know the love of Jesus, who though yet invisible, provides a palpable and steady acceptance of her and her vocation. How much better would that be the actual presence of the Holy Spirit to deliver this encouragement to her. Or for my other daughter, how much better would it be, even if it's through her friends, but nonetheless in the gaps of, of friendship flakiness, to experience the presence and fidelity of the Holy Spirit in her life? How much better would it be to ask for the Holy Spirit's presence? When I pray for the wisdom of my leaders, I may be praying for good virtues like wisdom and understanding, but how much better would it be if I would pray for the felt presence of the Spirit in their meetings, when they actually meet together, that would produce a fear of the Lord, a humility that would purge the temptations of personal agendas and meetings and personal politics or fear of the marketplace, 
and that the force of personality, the Holy Spirit's holiness and goodness would give them courage in the face of these things. How much better would that be to pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to deliver these things by the mere force of his personality in the room, in hearts and between hearts? You know, we live in such a world of experts, surveys, statistics, and data that we hope will guide us. And I myself benefit greatly from social scientists and business leaders. Um, And yet, how much better would it be to actually have the presence of the Holy Spirit illuminate all of this knowledge for us? Well, in asking for the Holy Spirit, we're asking for nothing less than what the Holy Spirit does, which is to minister the presence of Jesus to us now. That is the overall job description of the Holy Spirit, to bring the presence of Jesus into our daily lives. So that if we seek joy, wisdom, or comfort, it would be the joy of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now again, it's hard to explain what difference a person would make as opposed to just a thing like wisdom. But we all again sense that makes a big difference. I mean, when I'm at my, uh, you know, when I'm at Ralph's and I scan my card through the pad and, and the pad says, thank you for your loyalty, I feel nothing. <laughs> the pad has thanked me for my loyalty. <laughs> and while there may be a person way back in the technology there, no, it feels so much better to be at a restaurant and to have the chef slash owner come out to your table and say, thank you for supporting my work. That delivery of gratitude by a person <laughs> would move me. And so that is what I think Jesus is inviting us to ask for, the presence of a person whose personality, whose wisdom, whose joy would kind of what we say rub off on us because of our exposure to him and his joy, his comfort, his wisdom. That's powerful. It's what scriptures call a filling of the Spirit also. And Paul, of course, points to this in Ephesians 5.18, which we didn't read today. But there, of course, he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with a person. Um, this is a funny verb, be filled. Um, in Greek, it's what they call a imperative, present, passive And just to unpack that, imperative just means it's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's in the present tense, which means an ongoing. Do this regularly. Regularly be filled with the Spirit. But kind of the funny bit about this command is that it's a passive, what they call the passive mood. It is be filled. It's commanding you to let something happen to you. That's trickier. It would have been a little simpler to say, fill yourself with the Spirit. It's like the other commands are more active commands, right? Um, Love your neighbor. Well, that's still mysterious, but at least we know it's something we do, or we think we do. But no, to command someone to let something happen to you, that's a little stranger. How do I let something happen to me? Well, that raises the question, of course, of what we often call spiritual formation. How do we cooperate with that? And while there is much to say about that, and we cannot move into that in in full this morning, 
This is in part what we need to ask for, seek, and knock for, is to understand what it means to cooperate in inviting the person of the Holy Spirit into our lives on a daily basis. That, in a sense, is our job description, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to let it happen to us. Now, even to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit actually brings up other questions, too, because I think there are probably two broad kind of senses of filling in the Scriptures. And I'm going to call them the filling for the sake of ministry and the filling for the sake of maturity. Clearly, in our Acts passage today, we have the Holy Spirit coming in to fill people and ministers of the gospel. And so we see throughout the scriptures that sometimes people are filled with the Spirit to perform specific acts of ministry. That the Spirit comes on them in a moment, and the Spirit's power allows them to perform feats of ministry that they might not be ordinarily or naturally capable of. And so there is that kind of momentary filling. We see this in the Old Testament. Um, Bezalel, we're told, one of the first artists mentioned in Scripture, was filled with the Spirit in order to create the designs of the temple in Exodus 31. It seems to have been, it's not precise, but it seems to have been a kind of filling that came upon him in order to accomplish the ministry of the design of the temple. That was kind of a filling of the Spirit for a ministry purpose. And of course, we see this today in Acts. We see Philip, early on in our passage, performing signs and miracles. Something that came upon him to further the ministry of God in that situation. And we see Peter and John later on in this passage having the power to pray the Holy Spirit actually into the Samaritans. To lay hands on them and actually pray the Holy Spirit, it seems so, into them. Now, this is not necessarily normative in scriptures. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes upon people in a variety of ways in the scriptures. Not always through the laying on of hands. Not always, though often through baptism. But here God allows a kind of filling of the Spirit for a particular task that seemed to be important at that time. A ministry task. God in his wisdom, even though the Samaritans had already believed, so many of them, and they'd already been baptized, when Peter and John get down there, sent from Jerusalem, they discover these people don't have the Holy Spirit yet. God somehow in his wisdom delayed the arrival of the Holy Spirit. That sometimes comes with belief, sometimes comes with baptism. It came with neither of these. In his wisdom, he kind of allowed for kind of a five-second delay here so that Peter and John could come from Jerusalem and lay hands on them, which is a sign, among other things, of identification and fellowship. Because the Lord, in his wisdom, felt it was important for the Jews to get together with their lifelong enemies and to see that they were now included in the family of God, to see it with their own eyes, that the Holy Spirit um, could be manifest in the Samaritans as well, a kind of act of racial reconciliation. Um, well, this is a powerful moment. And God seems to allow a filling of the Spirit for this particular ministry. And that's what I appreciate about HTC, is that they recognize that the Spirit can still be active in this way today. 
that the Spirit can come through a prayer ministry or through a laying out of hands here, and miraculous things can happen. We don't hold the Spirit by the tail. But there can be this filling of the Spirit among some of our ministers for special acts of ministry. And this is a church mature enough to facilitate what is a very powerful thing, a very powerful way the Spirit can act. Of course, sometimes we see how revivals go wrong in our world where those who experience these special fillings don't necessarily have the, the feeling of maturity to handle the feeling of ministry. And that would be the other kind of feeling. The feeling to maturity is simply that feeling which over time conforms us to the person of Christ. Christ producing in us the fruit of the Spirit. Bringing the Spirit to us to form us in the love and character of Christ in the deeper places of the heart. This is the other way the Scriptures talks about filling. Not the momentary filling for specific acts of ministry, but the filling over time to produce a mature person who manifests the fruit of the Spirit. And among the two, Paul says this is the greater filling, right? In Corinthians Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, perhaps filling of the Spirit for prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, the filling for maturity, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, the filling unto maturity, I gain nothing. So there seems to be this other filling that we need to pray for. Paul seems to pray about this in another place in Ephesians. At the end of Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory he may be, he grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So he is praying for the Holy Spirit too, as Jesus said. But now he's praying for a strengthening in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Well, Christ doesn't, already, doesn't he already dwell in our hearts through faith? Yeah, but Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would expand the presence of the Spirit in our hearts so that we would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ increasingly in ways that surpass knowledge, that you may be, and here's the word, filled with all the fullness of God. And so this is the other filling we need to ask for, the fruit of the Spirit, of greater love, joy, peace, and patience. And this is the most amazing work, is it not? <laughs> Well, there are many miraculous things, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, the most amazing is love. And I think the other fruit of the Spirit. This is what is perhaps the greatest sign of the filling of the Spirit in us. I was talking to someone this week whose father, for most of her life, uh, was an alcoholic. And of course, with that came behaviors and attitude and wounds that were damaging and left family scars. And yet in the final two or three years of his life, the Holy Spirit grabbed him 
the Spirit's presence rubbed off on him. He began to manifest the fruit of the Spirit's the fruit of the Spirit, beginning with self-control, sobriety, patience, kindness, faithfulness. These things were not characteristic of him. Now, the family would have been right to pray for sobriety, would have been right to pray for health. But what they also got was the Holy Spirit in his life. The person of the Holy Spirit refracted through him And, you know, she told me this providing an ending ending in that family that eclipsed the multitude of sins that they'd experienced over the years. The ending changed the whole story because the fruit of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, had occurred in his life. So we should pray for that. We should pray for and open to the Holy Spirit's increasing presence in our lives and in those we love. Whether we pray for wisdom or comfort or healing or repentance or growth, whether we pray for the places that need justice or peace, what we need to pray for most of all is that the Holy Spirit himself will deliver these in person. For it is the person, it is the person of Christ who by the force of his personality, his presence changes people's lives. Let's ask for that. Let's seek the wisdom of how to cooperate with the filling of the Spirit in our lives. Let us knock, which is to be ready for the door to be opened and to accept his invitation to cooperate with him in the filling of our lives. And now, in just the few moments you have, I want you to, if you, if you would, close your eyes. And uh, no doubt you sense that there are other people in the room, because there are. You can't see them now, but it would be quite different if you were in this church alone today. It would feel different. You feel the presence of other people. You know they're here. And now, for a moment, just be aware that the Holy Spirit is here also. I'm not asking you to come up with some special emotional experience. Just the facts. Just the facts. That he is present. That Jesus, through the Spirit, is present before you. I don't know what this will produce in you. Maybe nothing. Maybe a sudden sense of humility maybe a sense of gratitude, maybe a listening heart. But just in the few beats of silence, just place yourself before the fact of the Holy Spirit's presence in the room and the God who is the good Father who wants to give you and fill you more with His Spirit.